You're insane. On any other day, Mr. Morton, you would be wrong. Today, today is a very different day. So what are you going to do, Malaya? Blow up the island? Actually, now that you mention it... No! Morning, gentlemen. This is your wake-up call. Captain? Hmm? They're pissed. Will you come with us? I have been here since the beginning. I will not leave you now. I will go with you beyond the rim. And we will see again all those who went ahead of us. All those who we have missed for so long. Then we will not be alone. No. Never alone. Now get the hell out of our galaxy. Both of you. It's a new age, Dylan. A third age. My third. We began in chaos too primitive to make our own decisions. Then we were manipulated from outside by forces that thought they knew what was best for us. And now, now we're finally standing on our own. Did we just win? Don't jinx it. It's the battle of the millennium. Morning, gentlemen. This is your wake-up call. And Sheridan's putting it all on the line. Win or lose, we'll go down fighting. On an all-new... Here they come. Babylon 5. You have transmissions holding. Patch incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the break house. Welcome back, everyone, to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast, part of NPR Illinois Community Voices and the Front Row Network. We are a group of newbies watching Babylon 5 for the very first time, as well as a group of first ones who have somehow stuck around after being told to get the hell out of our galaxy to guide these newbies through this watch of Babylon 5, because we have all seen this show way too many times before. My name is Blake, and with me, I have... Nicole. Kevin. Emily. Scott. Mike. Jesse. And Justin. And for those of you wondering, Justin does have a bit of a cold uh, this week. So that is what's going on there. Because we figured what could be the worst that could happen doing a podcast on cold medicine. We've all done it at least once. So this week, we do not have a new review, which means those of you who are listening are not following Scott's instructions to go down and give us a review on your podcast app of choice. Apple is the most prevalent one. Even if you hate us, give us a five-star review and tell us why you dislike us, and you may just get your review read here on the podcast. So before we jump into this week's episode, last week we had a couple of our newbies missing, so we want to circle back and give them a chance to offer their thoughts on last week's episode. So, Justin, 
What are your thoughts on last week's episode? Yeah, the long night, man. I was glad to see Kartasha finally get it. I know we've been kind of waiting for that for a while now. I don't think it shocked anybody, but I was kind of glad to see kind of get him get what was coming to him. I thought it was cool that Brian Cranston was involved. God, I don't remember ever seeing him look that young, but it was kind of cool to see Walter White in there. I was missing the blue powder, but overall, I liked it. It was a good episode. Kind of sets up this episode kind of perfectly. So almost like a two-parter, it feels like to me, between the... Between the Long Night and whatever the hell this episode's name is. But overall, I liked it. This week is Into the Fire. So we went from Long yeah, Night right. to Into the Fire. Jesse, what did you think about last week? I really enjoyed it. I like to see Cartesia get what he got coming to him. And I'm glad that I didn't have to wait the rest of the season to see it. It was a enjoyable episode. And um, like Justin said, it was a nice setup for whatever the hell this episode is called. <laughs> so you both mentioned cartesia finally getting got what did you think about it being veer is the one to actually do it i thought it was cool like i i like the fact that he was the one that actually got to do it it didn't shock me because i kind of feel like thinking back they were kind of setting him up for that but to see veer kind of be the one to end it and see how it messes him up later on because even though he knows he did the right thing he never killed anybody before and it fucked him up a little bit and then he got fucked up so it all comes around and jesse I thought it was interesting, especially because of that second part that Justin said, the, you know, the toll that it took on him, which just shows how genuinely good of a person he's always been. And that wasn't, I mean, I, I don't think that there was any question of whether he was actually genuinely the good guy. So it was definitely, it almost made me feel bad for him because he's like, I can't stop seeing his face and anybody that's ever, you know, been through something traumatic. That's very, that's very accurate sometimes. All right, so now that we have caught up with our two newbies who were not with us last week, and we are up to Into the Fire, I believe, Jesse, you have a synopsis for us this week. I do. When the Army of Light mounts its final assault, and Londo learns something surprising about Morden. Gotta love those short, sweet, and simple synopsises that Lurker's Guide puts out there that are most of the time spoiler-free even. I say most of. So let's go ahead and jump into our first impressions with our newbies, and let's start with Emily. I really like this episode for the most part. Um, I was not a fan of how they conclude, concluded, and I use that term loosely because I'm not sure if I'm buying it, the Shadow Vorlon conflict. I felt that was kind of a lackluster closing to that storyline that's been building up for so long. But otherwise, yeah, it was a pretty good episode. As usual, Emily trusts no one and nothing. And why Justin, should I trust anybody? Tell me why I should trust anybody. Wait, Justin, Emily may be coming for your uh, tinfoil hat and red yarn. It's around here somewhere. I'll mail it to her. <laughs> so, Justin, how about your first impressions? Yeah. Instead of a phrase I'm fond of saying, shit escalates, I guess I should title this one, shit ends. I'm still trying to wrap my head around it a little bit. It felt like a series finale, to be honest with you. And I kind of have questions about whether it was supposed to feel like that. Or if maybe Babylon 5 thought maybe they were getting canceled, so they had to write something up real quick. I don't know. Um, it just, it kind of had that, it wrapped everything up in a nice, neat bow. And like Emily, I'm not sure how I feel about it, or if I kind of trust it either. If I would have known it just took the other races to take their ball and go home, they could have wrapped this thing up a long time ago. Londo's savagery knows no end, and I love it. He, he is, it was both glorious and terrifying at the same time. So it was a really good 
episode for Peter. The two soliloquies, the one in Ivanova's quarters and the one at the end, were both extremely impactful. And I really actually enjoyed writing, almost writing them down word for word, just because I want to be able to refer back to them later. I was kind of sorry to see him go. I did not see the revelation about Morden coming. That caught me off guard. And that was kind of a holy shit moment. But then I thought that Morden's end was 100% fantastic. And I got a good throaty chuckle out of it. So overall, great episode, but just a little weird. And you know, since this is an audio podcast, a number of people that just did the little veer wave uh, in their <laughs> Zoom sessions as uh, Justin was discussing the demise of Mr. Morden. Nicole, how about your first impressions? Man, this was a hell of an episode. <laughs> I was really... In, like on the edge of my seat um i really enjoyed it uh like justin mentioned the, the two kind of like soliloquies by Lorian were beautiful like the one with ivanova i wrote that down about how um you should take advantage of being able to love and have companionship and things like that and then the one at the end uh just beautiful very powerful and impactful um i got a really big chuckle about uh delen saying hauling ass and saying it was undignified <laughs> just made me laugh really hard um you know just there was a lot of um this was a huge I mean there's just so much that happened in this episode and so many things that were revealed but like also there was so many little things too that were funny like obviously the veer wave that was fucking badass and Morden getting got like that totally was awesome too obviously you know the big finale of the shadows and the Vorlons and all that I thought it was a little too easy for them to be done and just go away like you know like i i understand that it's done and i get it and i'm not saying that i i reject it but also i just thought it was too easy basically the humans yelling at them and telling them to go away get the hell out of our galaxy it was really cool how they did the thing between um the light and the dark with delenn and sheridan so delenn talking to the shadows and you know um sheridan talking to the vorlons and like how with delenn it was like all the people that she cares about coming through and it was just that whole scene was awesome. But overall, I mean, it was such a great, great episode. Also, Lita was kind of on, on her game in this one, too. Like, there were just so many things that happened. So I'll, I'll end it there and just say that, like, how, wow, like, what a freaking episode. And I have lots and lots of notes and things to discuss. And Jesse? Uh, I loved this episode. I I agree with Justin because I had the same thought of when it was all over, I it was it started to bring up the next episode it automatically plays into the next episode and this is episode like six or you know yeah, like how the hell are we only in the beginning of the season this felt very final you know so it was definitely interesting um to see everything just kind of wrap up in in something that we've been waiting for a really long time for i agree with everything else everybody has said about how it, it felt very very easy and very short i mean it was a great finale of that situation but it was also seemed so easy like these guys have been killing each other for thousands and thousands of years and maybe not that much i don't know exactly the amount but um but all of a sudden we're just going to talk it out and everybody's going to go you know go home and go on their own separate way so it was it, it was beautiful but at the same time i was like mm, would it really be that easy so overall i enjoyed the episode a lot it was it was really cool to see you know, it's funny, all of our newbies all commented kind of with the what now and ending the six episodes in. And even 30 years ago was the same argument with people on the Usenets. And JMS even responded, this is exactly what he was going for. Um, where other shows would put something like this at the end of a season. And he basically right. said, yeah, we're funny like that. We did it at six. <laughs> so 30 years later, JMS is still getting the reaction that he was going for 
uh, with this episode. So let's switch over to our first ones for their first thoughts on this episode. And let's start out with Mike. Yeah, um, overall, I like this episode. Um, I do feel like it is a it's a big feel good episode in my mind. Like it, it has a lot of really satisfying finality to it which as everybody has pointed out is super weird at episode six out of like 24 in the season um and i do have some issues with you know the way that it all plays out in the end but but overall um i kind of like that they go to the i don't i don't, I don't want to call it hard sci-fi but i like that they go to like the higher more thought-provoking realm it's not it's not everybody shows up and shoots the shit out of one another and one side wins it's it's something else you know i i appreciate that it's very doctor Who-y in my mind and um yeah so we'll we'll get into some some details later like you know why she's in an ice cube but um <laughs> overall i do i do like this episode kevin i like this episode too one of the one of the scenes in this that i i think is spectacular is the scene after londo finds out who actually killed adira and he's just insane with rage and peter put put together a wonderful performance and i really like how it was directed because it's just a a tornado around him and you really see the fury that he's got um this is a great episode for a lot of different reasons but i mean this is all about uh jms just does not like doing what is expected and the fact that the philosophies of both the Vorlons and the, the shadows were laid bare and completely wanting uh, was the whole point, and I love it. And Scott? Greetings from my echoey hotel room. I apologize in advance for the audio. But yeah, this is one of my favorite episodes of the show. I mentioned last week this is the highest rated episode of season four, and there's some really good episodes coming up in season four still, but I can see this reason why this is rated so highly and mike you kind of laid it out the same argument i have i'm a huge fan of this kind of sci-fi arthur c clark is my favorite author of all time and he does the same kind of stuff and, and jms pointed out again when people were saying what happens next jms is like there's always somebody with a bigger gun so guns don't end wars all the time sometimes it takes something else and so i and i'm sure we'll get into more so i won't get into too much detail on it yet but i love how this ended and I'm also the guy who likes the ending to Mass Effect 3, so read into that as you will, folks. But um, also, I, I really do love the the interactions with Veer and Londo on Centauri Prime. This is Londo, and this is Peter Jurisic's one of his best performances. And actually, Kevin, you mentioned it's a really good director. Uh, actually, the director did not want to do that in a one-shot. That was JMS saying, we need to do this in a one-shot. So JMS overruled the director on this one. And I'm glad he did. I agree. This is a great episode. I also really like how this concluded uh, with the Shadow War. It was, I think, a great bit of writing and not your standard sci-fi piece where you've got two sides that just go slug it out. There was kind of a higher uh, piece to it with moving beyond the rim and getting the Shadows and Vorlons to join the other first ones. And I do think that was a great resolution. And I also really enjoyed the pieces on Centauri Prime with Peter Jerusik as Londo, that, that bit in his room after finding out about Adira. Uh, but also that scene where they're on Centauri Prime and he's going, you know, what's left? What's left of Centauri influence or of uh, shadow influence? And Veer just goes, you. Uh, and he breaks down and begs Veer to kill him to save the planet. You know, I think that was just a brilliant piece there. But speaking of Veer, the other part I love in this episode is when Londo tells him to go out into the garden 
Because if we go all the way back to when Morden showed up and all the people that Mr. Morden asked, what do you want? There is exactly one character this far that we have seen get exactly what he said he wanted, which was Veer when he said, I want to live just long enough to see your head on a spike as a warning to all others. And I'll wave like this. And he and that's the way it goes when Veer just waves at the uh, head in the garden. So I, I just love that bit of everybody. Veer is the one that gets exactly what he told Mr. Morton he wanted. So I think that wraps up our first impressions. We have a lot apparently to talk about with this episode. So who wants to jump in and kick his? I see Justin's hand up before I even finish. So Justin, let's go to you. This doesn't have to specifically pertain to this episode, but it's probably going to generate some hate mail, but fuck it. Looking back over the whole breadth of the Shadow War now, um, since what we kind of, this started kind of kicking up in season two, right? And going to now its conclusion in the early part of season four. I was had this thought when I was watching the episode of, and I don't know if JMS said anything about it, but this feels like another clip conflict that I remember about with two big sides with questionable motives using smaller nations to fight out their proxy wars and making everyone choose sides. It's called the Cold War. And I I just thought a lot of interesting analogies between kind of, you know, if you think about the Vorlons as the United States and the Shadows as the Soviet Union or the other way, however you want to view it. It didn't end the same way that ours did, but there are a lot of similarities between how this whole thing ended up playing out over time. And I don't know, maybe if maybe if nations would have just stood up and said, sit the fuck back down, nobody cares, get over yourselves, maybe our Cold War would have ended a lot differently. So that's all I kind of wanted to say about that. It was something that just kind of peaked when I was watching the episode. Nicole? I was going to suggest or start on the Londo, Veer, Centauri Prime, Shadow, Morden beheading part. Go for it. (laughs) So a couple people mentioned this already, but um, first of all, Lando or Peter Jurassic was amazing in this episode. I mean, from start to finish, the get go. I mean, every emotion he felt and everything that he felt, it was so palpable when he was in the hotel room and he broke down and he was laughing and crying and breaking stuff. And I mean, if you think about it, I'm pretty sure Adir is the only person he's ever loved. Right. And then when he finds out that Morden played him and took away the one person he ever truly loved betrayal and heartbreak all at the same time it made you feel for him you know because it was like he had that laugh and then he had to cry and then he was breaking it was very very his emotions were very palpable in that and then when he confronted Morden he was so direct and calculating and just savage as fuck like I mean it was almost scary how like Nah, dude, it's over. Like, first of all, killing the shadows around him was genius. I at first I'm like, why is he just shooting it? And then I'm like, oh yeah, that's right, because he's got the invisible shadows around him. And then when Morden or Morden's like, what are you gonna do? I'm not afraid of you. Blah 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 blah. And then Londa was like, oh, this is what I'm doing. Click. He and then he blows up the whole aisle. I mean, wow, that was insane. And then yeah, Veer, I have a present for you. The veer wave at Morden's head. Like, I knew they were going to imprison Morden. I thought maybe Londo was going to torture him or something. I didn't know he was going to kill him that quickly. But when you go out there and his head's on the stake, I was like, fuck yeah, he got his, you know? It was almost like he went through every wave and every emotion that one person could go through. You know what I mean? 
all throughout this episode. It was grief. It was sadness. It was relief. It was mania. It was badassery. It was, you know, like just desperation, all of it in one. And it really just, I, I had to talk about his just acting chops because my God, like, I feel like obviously the Shadow War ending and all that was like the main part. But damn, I don't think it was an A or a B plot. I think it was pretty fucking equal between the two. I think this is, I mean, obviously we have more to see. But I mean, it, he should have won an award for this episode. I mean, he was just so good. Yeah, it was really interesting to me finding out that Peter is not particularly happy with that scene where he find after he finds out about how Adira died, he was still not happy with the final product. Um, and he lamented, you know, that he wished they had had a bigger budget and this and that. But I just can't imagine that scene not being the way that it was because it was so good in my mind, uh, the final product. Um, I would love to hear his perspective if we get a chance to talk to him again about that scene, because I would have questions. Yeah, I, I had seen that about about the director, too. And this is only the second time that that director uh, directed an episode of of uh, Babylon 5. The first one he did was uh, Whatever Happened to Mr. Garibaldi. And so, you know, he didn't have tons behind him. But when the creator of the show says, do it this way, I don't think they have much agency to overrule the the creator of the show but and especially with Londo saying to Veer in the garden kill me kill me now do it quickly tell them that really gives you some very interesting insight into the character that um he is not just self-interested and you might think that at certain points in the series but that is definitely not what's going on there's more to it than that Nicole? I also just wanted to add that I thought it was really touching at the end when Veer hugged him goodbye and they had like that little moment of, you know, like mutual respect and admiration for each other. Because even though like Veer doesn't agree with the things that Londo has done and I think they truly care about each other. And I know Londo cares a lot about Veer based on the last episode, that discussion we had about he's still got a good heart and all this stuff. But it was nice to see that embrace or whatever between them because maybe Londo can realize he's not fully lost if somebody else cares about him, if that makes sense. Because he's lost all his friends, if you think about it. Veer's the only one he's got left. And Veer gave him that like reassurance that he cares. So I just thought that was really sweet. Mike? You know, building on the theme that we kind of talked about last uh, last episode and, and then the comment that uh, I'm sorry I forget who, who said it first <laughs> about the fact that they were surprised Londo didn't torture Morden um, I, I appreciated the way that that all went down because here we have an example uh, yet again of Londo has made a lot of bad choices and he has played his part willingly being the bad guy for the cause that he chose to fight for the, the cause of returning Centauri to, to greatness but he reaffirmed to us as as viewers and you know that his character he's not a monster um he hates morton he hates morton real bad he has every reason to but he doesn't torture morton he kills him <laughs> he kills him i assume probably pretty quickly <laughs> in a pretty calculated fashion but he doesn't torture him because again uh, you know lando for all the things that he is he's not a monster he's not cartagia emily yeah i do agree with mike on that one and he didn't just like kill Morden put his head on his pike just for shits and giggles. It was one thing that Veer asked for. <laughs> Whether or not Veer actually meant it, which I think he absolutely did. 
you know, that's one of the few things he's asked for. And Londo could do it for him. Londo couldn't change his other behaviors, but this, this he can do. So in a really, really sick way, it was a nice little gift to Veer. All right. So we've talked a little bit about Londo and Veer on Centauri Prime, but let's start there too, thinking about that conversation that was taking place around where the fleets were headed in the decision, because they talked a little bit about where they were going to have that final showdown and there were 6 billion people versus Centauri Prime where the Vorlons were also headed and having to make that choice of where do you make your stand and who do you save and it being a pure numbers game. Nicole? Yeah, I actually wrote that down about that conversation with uh, Lita and Marcus. I thought that was really interesting because it just kind of highlighted or showed the dynamic of like sometimes you have to make decisions which which is the lesser of two evils. If people are going to die who do you want to die, 6 million or 3 million? I thought that was a really short but really impactful conversation. And I think it was really um, important to kind of set up the entire episode on why they were kind of doing what they were doing. Scott? I think it also says something about the Centauri Empire itself because, I mean, look at Earth right now. We have over 7 billion people, close to 8 billion people. The Centauri Empire has 3 billion on their homeworld. It just goes back to what Londo said back in the gathering. They become a sideshow. They're dying people is what um, Kosh said. And we can kind of see that just in the fact that they have so few people on their planet. The one other thing I want to throw out too to the newbies is a question that has been raised over the years. And that is, did blowing up the Shadow Island and beheading Mr. Morton do anything? Because at the end of the day, the Vorlons left because of what Sheridan did. So, and every hand just popped up. Uh, so, uh, do you think it did anything or was it even a positive thing to do? So let's jump to Emily for her answer to that one. I think in the grand scheme of the Vorlon Shadow War, it may not have made a difference, but as to the Centauri on the planet, I think it made a big difference because it was saying, we're not going to keep on this path. We're going to make a choice and take a different path We because we can't stay on this path. That's a bad one. We need to change. And someone's coming in and saying, I'm going to make that change for us. So whether or not it had much of an impact in regards to, you know, what the Vorlon thought, I feel is kind of irrelevant because I think it mattered more to the actual Centauri than anyone else. Justin? Probably not in terms of the war itself, but I think it fulfills a prophecy. Because if you look back to War Without End... um, when we see like the destruction of you know Londo sitting there as emperor and Centauri Prime is laid waste and I think he even says in the episode correct me if I'm wrong that it was allies of the shadows came back and attacked them and decimated the planet maybe this is why maybe we start to see the reason why Centauri was attacked because even Morton said as he was being dragged out that he they still have allies and you know, I don't think all of those, I don't think everybody's going to be happy that the war's over. Like, I think there's going to be some repercussions and not all of them are positive. And I think this just leads up to that destruction of Centauri Prime that we see back in War Without End. Nicole? I got to say, I think if anything, it pissed the shadows off, which always feels good to me, making them mad and making them suffer a little bit. Um, But I have to agree with Emily on this one. I think it was more so important symbolically And just in general for the Centauri, because if you think about it, they've been under the Shadow's influence for quite a while. Once Lorden, Lorden, once Londo struck the deal with 
Morden. And then Rifa started working with him when Landa tried to walk away. And it's been a long time that they've been kind of under their influence and under their thumb a little bit. And I think if they didn't take a stand and say, we're not going to be under your thumb anymore, regardless of what happened, they still would have had the shadows trying to take them if the Vorlon didn't destroy them, you know? So I think that in, in that sense, it was important in the grand scheme of things, probably other than pissing them off, it didn't really do much, but, um, and you know, it may or may not have swayed the, the Vorlon's decisions to still destroy Centauri Prime either, but I do think it was an important piece and it kind of wrapped things up in that storyline as well, um, to just kind of like for them to stand up to them and be like, we're done with your ass. And Jesse, I actually think so. Grand grand scheme, I agree with everybody else. In the war, did it make a difference? No, but I think it served a purpose for Londo specifically because it gave him the satisfaction to to get back at Morden for all the shit that Morden's done. And you know, when we say he didn't torture him, he didn't do this or that, that was enough right there for him to watch that his you know his species was being blown up. Um, and knowing that that was happening. So I do think that it served a purpose, especially with Londo. Mike? So I don't really have anything to add to that part of the conversation. I, you know, for my two cents, I don't think it mattered either. I think the Vorlons would have nuked them either way. But um, what I do want to bring up is is a tangent on this. And that and that tangent is, does the Vorlon strategy even make sense to go destroy planets that have been touched by the shadows? Because what stops the shadows from just, or from the, <laughs> from just going to other planets? You know, and going, you can't go to ground there. Just go to a different planet and go to ground. What are they going to do? What are the Vorlons going to do? Blow up every planet in the solar, the galaxy? Doesn't, doesn't really make any sense to me anyway, uh, which I guess furthers my belief that it wouldn't have mattered and that they would have destroyed Centauri Prime anyway. And then, you know, kind of a follow on to that, I suppose, is did they ever really explain when they suddenly revealed that the Shadows had a planet killing weapon, how they were choosing their targets? <laughs> Well, and I think some of that, because I, I had some similar questions with that strategy, and part of what I wondered was there, there may be some difference that didn't get explained in the show, where were these worlds that were willingly affiliated with the shadows and having a shadow presence, um, which I think they, they kind of expressed they it, that. Yeah, no, they were just going after everybody at a certain point. Might have started yeah. one way, but then they just said, fuck it. Scott? In terms of why the Vorlons were doing this, this is not coming from anything other than my opinion. So I'm not like reading from JMS or anything, but except for, I will say the one thing that JMS did say when he started this out, um, I think it was, uh, it was one of the producers. I'm blanking on the name of it right now. One of the producers came to him at the beginning of the show and basically said, how does this all end? And JMS says, this is a story about killing your parents. And so all that being said, I think we go back to the, what cost 2.0 said an unintended door was open. So for millennia, they have had, the races pick sides. Do you like chaos? Do you like order? And for the first time, because Sheridan, you know, dropped a white star on their heads, they didn't pick. They didn't decide. They just started attacking both sides. Not so much the Vorlons at that point, but that was where it was going towards. And so I think the reason why the Vorlons started doing what they were doing, why the Shadows were doing what they were doing, is because the rules of engagement changed. And when those rules of engagement changed, everything was thrown away so instead of every thousand years we let the races pick and choose some survive some don't now it's well let's just go ahead and take out the shadows because we're right they're wrong and now because they're hurt we have the ability to do that mike 
so that's an interesting point. Something something you just said triggered in me there. So so I had that same question about what exactly caused the rules of the engagement to change because that was the implication about what had happened. The rules changed. Somebody broke the somebody violated the unspoken treaty between them, and so they decided to go balls to the wall at one another. Finally, after all these millennia. And I guess just to make it clear, my understanding is that what changed is is not even necessarily that Sheridan went and attacked Zahadum. It's in my mind, it's that Sheridan, who had a Vorlon riding inside of him, whispering in his ear, went and attacked Zahadum. And the shadows did not take kindly to that. So just mm-hmm. I think if 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 you're all in agreement with me that that's the deal, or maybe that's something subtle that I just now figured out <laughs> part of that same vorlon that was in sheridan is the one who sheridan implored to get involved and help them strike a victory against the shadows to get the league working together in the first place so kosh 1.0 whether in his own form or even you know part of with in sheridan could have well been the trigger of what changed was when kosh that's, decided that things needed to change that's where well, i was going with it is it's like it's not even that it was sheridan it's really kosh that yeah. broke the rules and i'm not disagreeing with you guys but it could have actually it could have possibly had to do with Lorianne as well uh, he had never been involved before and the fact that he became involved could could absolutely have something to do with it too um it's a it's a fun question that won't have any particular answer other than uh people's views but uh you know i i'm just throwing out an alternative i i think i think the theory your theory mike is uh very good but i just throwing out an alternative well and remember what kosh said to sheridan when he started his training i'm teaching you how to fight giants he was i think at that point kosh had decided one way or the other one we've had this conversation we had this conversation beyond the rim several episodes over the year that we've been doing this when did kosh quote-unquote go native and we don't know the answer and it's never really come out but by the time he started training sheridan he was, to Mike's point, changing the rules. See, I don't. I guess I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. Because I mean, isn't that what the Vorlons have done? More subtlety, or more subtly, all along, well, is groom other races to go fight the shadows when the time comes. Yeah, but he was doing more than grooming him. He was. That's true. I mean, it's one thing to make a, make telepaths <laughs> to fight your war. It's another thing to say, "Hey, you, you're going to be the guy." Who does this? Yeah, I guess he. you could argue he took a more direct approach than they've probably ever done before. And that Sheridan kind of backed him into it. I mean, he Kosh didn't want anything to do with Sinclair or Sheridan necessarily until they went knocking on his door. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I see what you're saying there, and I'll stop talking because other people want to talk. But I think Kosh knew Sinclair as Valen. Mm-hmm. Okay, we know that. And then Kosh knew Sheridan as he joined up in the um uh, as captain i don't think sheridan sheridan did reach out to kosh but i think the idea here is that kosh was doing was being more actively engaged than what he should have been so it's a little bit of both ways yeah sheridan is that kind of what they call him a nexus individual or whatever but at the end of the day i think if kosh would have just been like kosh 2.0 and told him to buzz off a lot of this wouldn't have happened justin is kosh the man in the middle then Oh, God, here we go. No, seriously, like, I just thought of this as you guys were talking, presenting kind of both your sides. Is If Kosh is the one that kind of created or presented this third option of how to to end the cycle, how to break the cycle, it just was a question that popped in my head. 
Like maybe Kosh was supposed to be the man in the middle. What what was the actual wording of that part of the prophecy? The man in the middle is looking for you. I think Kosh found him at that point. But I do love the fact that we can take one prophecy and continue to, to add to it every single time. I actually like that a lot. Yeah, Scott, about Scott your hilarious comment about, oh, here we go. It isn't because you disagree. I, I, I no. It's because we've had so many discussions on Beyond the Rim about this. <laughs> exactly. That, and it's that it was like, like oh, here's another theory. We, we Blake, Blake and I have been going at this for a while. Yeah. Blake and I have been going at this for a while, but it's always been, is it Lorian or is it Justin as in Mark Twain? And now Justin's going to throw a whole curveball in there. <laughs> this one prophecy has ignited 30 years of debate and bullshit on who the man in the middle right. is. Somewhere JMS is just laughing his ass off going, dumbasses. Sure. And we haven't even talked about the Londo prophecies this week. Emily brought it up last week, but we haven't talked about it this week. All right, who wants to jump in next with something out of this episode? As Scott just mentioned, we've got prophecies that we can dive into. There's space battles and other things. One thing to comment on, this was probably some of the best CGI that we've seen out of this show to date um, and the work that Foundation Imaging did. And you can really start to see where Foundation has been upping their game. I think it was 114 VFX shots in this episode, uh, which is astronomical for a television episode. Yeah, Blake, to that point, too, it's not only is it more shots than what they've done, but because the technology has gotten better year after year, they can do these big blowout episodes earlier. When you look at season one, season two, and season three, the big CGI episodes have been one third to a half into the show because they needed that much time to render the graphics. Mm-hmm. Now they could do it in six episodes. So it's getting better and better. And I still say, if it wasn't for the investment into the graphics and CGI that shows like B5 were doing, especially with foundation imaging, uh, some of the later season work in DS9, particularly around the Dominion War, some of the work in Voyager, uh, Battlestar Galactica, never would have actually happened. Uh, mm-hmm. because All of that was built on what was yeah. put together here through foundation. That was one of the things I wanted to mention because, you know, GMS calls them propeller heads, the the people that just can't not have a big battle to settle anything. And he's and he said, look, you know, there's there's got to be other ways that you can handle this in science fiction other than just ending it with a big battle. Otherwise, it gets kind of boring for anybody that wants something a little headier and. Um, so that that was the joke I was going to make. If you want to see the big battle, just go watch DS9. Not that DS9 isn't good, but it's a little bit different, and that's okay. Because <laughs> there wasn't wormhole aliens that made the entire Dominion fleet disappear. <laughs> <laughs> good point. The one thing I will say on the uh, the graphics, Blake, that you brought up as well is somebody, because there's always somebody on the internet, it's usually us, uh, said, why was Kosh in his encounter suit instead of the, just the normal Kosh, like you had the normal shadow? I wanted that too. JMS flat out said, we had 114 shots and we didn't have time to render a real Kosh. So that's what you got. <laughs> yeah, this was another and one of those they episodes would they barely made the upload. Oh, sorry, Emily. Well, I mean, that's how they would recognize him. So it kind of makes sense. Yeah, that's also a valid point. Like, what would it otherwise be? A ball of glowing white? Ooh. Some tart frozen in ice. My homie. <laughs> it was that Ed Wasser's voice is the shadow. Sure I thought was. So. Yep. Yeah, that's yeah, what I yeah. thought too. Yeah. Unlike the guy in Garibaldi's cell, JMS actually confirmed this one. It was Ed Wasser. So who was the voice of the Vorlon then? Was it, it was Patricia Tallman? Oh, okay. Well, because at one point there was a, a lady's voice. Oh, you mean in the ice? Yes. Yeah. 
Okay, sorry. I mean, I, the actual Kosh encounter suit was our normal Kosh. Right, race. but I was wondering who the voice, because I didn't see it in any of the, the IMDb or the readings mm -hmm. about who that was, and I didn't think it sounded like uh, Pat Tallman, but it could have been. I don't know. Yeah, there's a question. It's, it is interesting. In, on IMDb, Hardwhite um, Chamberlain is credited or uncredited, I should say. He's mentioned right. as uncredited as the voice of the Vorlon. Yep. Uh, but yeah, there is and... no mention of uh, Ed Wasser playing the Shadow, and there's no mention of who the uh, other actress was. Yeah, and Chamberlain was, was the voice. guy. <laughs> yeah, Chamberlain was the guy who did Kosh throughout the season series as well, too. Right. <laughs> Any other thoughts on this episode or what went down with the resolution for the shadow war uh or the search for the first ones that uh marcus and ivanova went on nicole i think it was interesting that zelen told ivanova to hold back but sheridan was like well i promised her she could be here and i wonder if that was delen trying to protect ivanova and also if they didn't make it maybe keep her back so they had someone to run b5 and like be in charge yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting because usually we would see that from a Sinclair or a Sheridan, not Delenn. So I thought that was kind of interesting about that part. And also, I thought it was really interesting to see the dynamic between Ivanova and Lorianne because, well, as Emily and I both said, we weren't sure about Lorianne. <laughs> and Ivanova wasn't either. And she basically said how, you know, question his mortality, you know, and question him and I thought it was really interesting to kind of see their dynamic and for him to kind of tell her a little bit more and for her to learn more about him and it was really um I thought it was a cool interaction because we really hadn't seen him interact as much with anyone besides Sheridan so I thought that was really neat and I really liked that and enjoyed that dynamic and what he said to her and what he said at the end. Um, there was a lot of like little things kind of tucked into this episode along with the big things that I really appreciated. And those were just a couple of them. Yeah, I also really liked that dialogue between Ivanova and Lorien when he was talking about being immortal and the gifts that humans have as part of being mortal and their abilities to have connections and things because of that. Mike. Yeah. You know, Nicole basically stole the words right out of my mouth. I, I actually really liked that we got to see so much interaction between Lorien and Ivanova because for the same reason, like I, I didn't love the Lorien character when we first met him because he was the creepy weird cave dweller who spoke in riddles all the time. And he was very pretentious, like much the same way I felt about Marcus initially, just a character who was over the top. Uh, but, but as we, kind of got to know him and I really I feel like we got to know him better through his conversations with Ivanova than we did with his, his conversations with Sheridan and so by the end I was like well damn he's leaving the show and I'm gonna miss him like well I will say you know Marcus had a, a purpose when he first joined the show he he got Emily to draw comparisons with Robin Hood men in tights which caused a lot of us to go watch Robin Hood men in tights so you know You're Marcus, welcome. thank you Emily so see Marcus did have value at the start at his appearance in the show Scott I was going to start by saying Emily disagrees. She doesn't think Lorian is gone. So that's a whole other thing. Yes, trust issues. Uh, I kind of wanted to dive in more into the conversation of the climax of the Shadow War and how you all feel about it. Because a lot of our newbies, which again, as Blake, you point out, has been kind of the pushback for you know nearly 30 years now, were thinking it was kind of anticlimactic. Whereas in some of the first ones disagree with that. And I kind of want to get more into that conversation. Let's jump to Nicole first, and then we can yeah. circle back to that and talk a little bit more about the end of the Shadow War. 
Well, actually, that's kind of perfect because my comment will kind of tie into that, what I was going to say. I was going to just kind of go back to kind of Mike said, I'm, oh, I'm going to kind of miss him. Like at the end when Lorianne was telling them that like, you know, it's up to them now and he hopes one day he can see them be on the rim and all that stuff. I just really felt like, oh, man, I finally like him now and he's gone. You know, like I think they did that on purpose for sure. Oh, he's everyone's papa. Right. I was like, oh, no. Um. So I thought that um that whole speech was obviously beautiful. And I thought it was interesting at the end um with the way that everything went down, Um, because when I was watching the battle, I was a little confused on who was shooting at who <laughs> at first. I just really like I think I said earlier about the dynamic between kind of Delenn being pulled one way, Sheridan being pulled one way and them trying to convince them, come to my side, agree with me, agree with me. And then when you see Kosh and the shadow come to them and say, you have to pick one. And they're like, no, we're not picking one. We refuse. I think that was like probably the first time either of them have had someone refuse. Um, so that was like, it was just so, not only was like the way that it was written really cool and interesting, but it was very symbolic and the imagery was really interesting, but that's not fully what your question is. Uh, it's just my comments, but I think the ending, I don't know. It's like, I liked that everyone didn't get killed and blown up. One thing I will say that I thought was really cool about that was every time that they would shoot a missile at, Sheridan and them somebody would block it you know and it was proving to them like we don't need you and then every time they tried to take them out somebody would protect them and they were like you know they'll they'll keep coming until you kill us all basically and I thought that was like very impactful um and I think that that was kind of maybe the turning point of them realizing okay well maybe we should just give up but I just thought they gave up too easy like it ended too easy um I liked that not everyone died and got blown up, but also like, I feel like the, maybe there should have been more of a fight or more of a conflict. Um, I would have been happy with the ending either way, but like I, there was just a little something missing for me. So just, just to build on one more thing that Nicole said, cause she's, we have the same brain tonight, apparently. Um, oh God. I, <laughs> uh, I could say something, but I won't. Um, no, uh, when, to, to Nicole's point about how whenever the shadows would, would launch a missile and try to uh, uh, destroy the White Star uh, that Sheridan and Delenn were riding on, and uh, somebody would jump in and block it. And and I actually thought it was a really nice touch that, and, and I assume it's deliberate, that other ships that were jumping in and taking those shots and sacrificing themselves weren't other White Stars. They were other member races. Mm-hmm. They were Drazi, or uh, I think one of the ships was a Mimbari. I don't know who's who necessarily, but um, I think that was a really nice touch because it helped to further the idea that this isn't just Sheridan talking for himself and implying for everyone else. It's all of them demonstrating to the Shadows and the Vorlons that they are united in this thinking. So um, just wanted to throw that out there. Jesse. And I wouldn't, so to Scott's question, I wouldn't say that it was anticlimactic. I just thought that it was a bit too easy. Would it really be that easy? And like listening to all you guys talk about it. And I, again, now I'm going to need to go back and rewatch it with a fresh set of eyes, but it's exactly what they were looking for to end the entire conflict was to have, you know, the, the, the younger generation step up and say, you know, we don't need you to be able to take care of ourselves. Like we don't need you to be able to resolve things. And so, I mean, it's exactly what they were looking for. So is it that easy? Sure. Probably. But watching it, 
without this discussion, it was like, mm, it seemed a bit, a bit easygoing. So I wouldn't say anticlimactic though, because it was very beautiful. Mm-hmm. It was a very beautiful um, ending to a res, you know, the resolution to the, the whole, the whole general thing that we've been waiting for, for so long. Justin. Yeah, I guess I'm kind of in the same boat as Jesse now with this, because earlier on when I was like, oh, okay, that's it. Now hearing kind of the discussion and us talking about the motivations of everything, you know, it, it actually makes a lot of sense that this would be the plan, quote unquote, the entire time between the Vorlons and the Shadows was to finally find somebody who would stand up and say, fuck are you to the to all the first ones. And then, okay, you know what? We've done our work. We're out of here. Good luck, you know, and now they're going to maybe move on to another galaxy and destroy that one. Who knows? That might be our first fuck of you of the season. So far, I think so, yeah. And you yeah, know, you still get one catchphrase. Yeah. JMS did talk a little bit about this, too, in that final scene between Lorianne and the Shadows and Vorlons. And Scott mentioned earlier that JMS said this whole idea of this show is it's about killing your parents. And not literally, but, you know, moving out and getting out on your own and... One of the things JMS said is that one could argue that that whole scene was a classic intervention from something like uh, psychotherapy or group therapy uh, type session, that that's what Lorian was basically doing was that intervention uh, with the shadows and the Vorlons. Uh, the other thing he did add in, he did say the main motive for going beyond the rim was that they did have a heck of a large Taco Bell over there. So that, that was his other uh, reasoning that JMS threw out there for why everyone would just go beyond the rim, that apparently there's a giant Taco Bell. Scott. Yeah, I, to add to that, Blake, the, the one thing I do like about it, too, is to the whole parents and children thing. And Lorian points it out, just like the, my, the the current races, whatever you want to call them, are the children of the Vorlon and Shadows. The Vorlon and Shadows are the children of Lorian's race. And when you hear Ed Wasser talking as a shadow, he's talking like a child. He's like, will you go with us? We won't be alone. So they've lost their way, too. And I, I appreciate that. Emily. I don't believe the conflict is actually over. I mean, yeah, the Vorlon and the Shadows just went beyond the run and they're like, okay, we're going to leave now, Toodles Poodles. And just because people now understand what they were doing, it doesn't mean they are going to accept it and change their behavior. You can provide people with all the information you want. It doesn't mean they're going to accept it and change their behavior. The seeds of the conflict are already there. Who hurt you? Flat earthers. <laughs> People do their okay. own research. I mean, to be oh, fair, God. do we all believe that they just literally in that exact moment turned around and sped out of the galaxy and left all their shit behind without picking up like their collections and whatnot? Yeah, poor nope. Shadow Kepper's like, where'd everyone go? I'm stuck in my ship. What's going on? No, I don't buy it. I don't think it's actually Some, over. Somewhere Jack the Ripper is just rotting in an ice tube. Yeah, and if it is over, what are you going to do for whoops. another season? <laughs> you guys are I, Emily you just said it too what are you going to do for another season and Justin you pointed out you guys are forgetting one major plot line of this no, show no there's still Earth and Psycorp through this entire show none of you have said what about Earth yet I'm like there's a little bit of a conflict remaining I'm just saying I said yeah, that a couple give a shit about Earth. yeah but it's not the conflict I care about <laughs> yeah, this right. is actually we had this conversation beyond the room. Kevin brought it up. Um, is and J- Mike has said this before. Myself, Kevin, and I think Blake too. I don't want to speak for Blake, but uh, we enjoy more of the Civil War stuff. Mike is more of the Galactic guy, so we'll see how Mike handles season four for the rest of the, the year. <laughs> 
So, so I want to say one more thing before we completely jump ships and maybe, I don't know how we're going to throw this together because I see Jesse and Nicole have hands up too. But um, the I guess the thing that I want to, where was I going with this? I literally just lost my train of thought, jumped the tracks. <laughs> so remember what happened last time the uh, thought train derailed on this show? <laughs> mm, there was a train. Hold on, train. <laughs> um, oh, okay. Uh, to to the feeling, to the feeling that a lot of the newbies seem to have about you know this being too easy or being anticlimactic or whatever. Um, I will say categorically, I kind of agree with you. I, being a fan of a Doctor Who, and uh, as I mentioned before, and like I, I like the ending. I think the ending to this is super neat and tidy and satisfying, but. It happens really fast. The thing that I think is really jarring is that we literally have escalated from Cold War to planet-on-planet violence, and within the span of a single episode, we went from 100 to zero, like, in a matter of moments. Mm -hmm. And I think that is the thing that is the most difficult to swallow, because while I can see Sheridan and their strategy of rejecting choosing a side ultimately being the victory ultimately being the the weapon that ends the war it it feels like it should take longer for the warlines and the shadows to like accept that that's what's happening and that they have both lost i guess that's my thinking well and going back to what justin said earlier too about a analogy to the cold war between the u.s and the soviets i don't know if it's necessarily fair to say that this was kind of a war in the background i think at the start of it it was more the proxy where we saw the conflicts all along coming up with the centauri acts of aggression around uh, the different worlds around them which was the shadows manipulating the centauri into those conflicts and helping them drive that we've seen the conflict you know earth and their issues driven in large part by psychor under shadow influence so there's been a lot of conflict that has been out in the open i just think it's more recently that the actual players yeah. behind the scenes came to a head i look at this episode more of a russian fleet uh, sailing towards a u.s blockade of cuba and coming head to head with each other is kind of where i see this you actually have the two superpowers coming head to head with each other not just the puppet states that they're using uh, to fight in the background. Nicole? I was going to say a couple things. I think, Mike, you hit it right on the head. I think that's exactly what it was. It just escalated for so long and so much. It just ended very quickly. And I think that is exactly not lackluster, not like I think that was it. I think it just happened so fast that it was over really quick. And I think that is probably maybe the feeling of discomfort or dissatisfaction that maybe we're feeling or I'm feeling. I don't want to speak for anyone else. The, the, the so. two sides have been set in their ways for so long. Right. That that all of a sudden they're just instantly like, oh, uh, I guess right. we were wrong. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's I think that's exactly why I felt like maybe it felt uncomfortable, you know, um, so I, I definitely agree with you on that. Side note, remind me to tell you about the time I crashed a Doctor Who convention. Um, <laughs> that's a fun story. Even though this conflict has been resolved in a way, I guess, um, there's plenty of shit going down. Like, obviously, this was episode six. So we're like, what next? There's a whole shit show waiting for them after this. This was just one fire. You know, there's plenty of other dumpsters that are on fire. And now I think that I think if they would have tried to do that war and the Earth thing all at the same time, it would have been too much. 
I think now, all right, well, we focused on this storyline. Now we can move into this storyline. And I think that we're going to see shit escalate, as Justin would say, with Earth and all that now. Um, so, yeah, this this fire may be out, but there's plenty of other dumpsters burning. <laughs> and is Earth the bigger dumpster fire since this ended in six episodes and we still yes. have 18 left? Yes, exactly. When is Earth not the bigger dumpster fire? I, we already know the answer. Yeah, pretty much, you know, Earth dumpster fire just goes hand in hand. Yeah. Jesse. It's also a little hard to believe that Earth would just chill out and wait for Babylon 5 to deal with this and, and you know, then refocus their attention on their situation. Because I did have that thought um, when this was ending earlier. I was like, oh, shit, like whatever happened to the Earth situation? Like we just broke free and then everybody was like, cool peace out we'll see you guys when we see it so like we all know that that's not really how earth works um so that was definitely a thought after the conclusion of this today scott a couple final things and i'll stop making my argument that why this is perfect the way it ended uh two things to the point of the escalation happening blake you already kind of mentioned it's been building for a while the other thing i love about this and nicole brought it up already is it wasn't just the humans it wasn't and maybe it was Mike too. It wasn't just the humans or Sheridan. It was the entire, what used to be called the League of Non-Aligned Worlds coming together and saying, no, we're not going to do this anymore. And that's when they started, you know, jumping in front of nukes do to we, that point as well. Do we rename them the League of BFFs? Yeah, pretty much. They're, they're, they're close now. But, you know, like four episodes ago or five episodes ago, they had broken up completely. They went home because they were scared for their lives. So it's a nice arc of the entire race, uh, races across the galaxy. Uh, and Mike threw me off on my second point. Sorry. Fuck. <laughs> God damn it, Mike. Give me one second. I'll have it. I'll have it. I'll have it. It'll come back. It'll come back. I swear. Fuck. Maybe it won't. Right. And it's I gone. had another point. I had another point. I had another point. Okay. I broke Scott. You did. You did. That's got to be the tamest breaking of Scott we've ever had on this show. Yeah, Impressive. Is that all you had, Scott? Until I remember what my second point was and I chime in. Okay, Emily. Well, since um, Jesse brought up the conflict on Earth, I think that's one of the other challenges I've had with this storyline is that because there is almost an implication like, oh, they're gone, so things can be okay. But we know there's conflict on Earth and we know the shadows were involved with it. So the seeds of that conflict... And the tech that they left behind, because you know the shadows were providing some of these groups with tech they shouldn't have had or been able to develop in any short time frame. So all of the remnants of it are still there. And I'm actually really interested to see how that will impact Earth and the Psychor since the shadows were manipulating that situation. Justin. I know Jesse had made the comment or somebody had made the comment about how just Earth's been kind of just sitting around doing nothing while Babylon 5 finishes up this Shadow War. We don't know what they've been doing. We don't know what they've been up to. We don't know the state of Earth right now. We don't know if Clark has dug his talons and, you know, in deeper. Or we don't know who's actually running the damn show right now. So it's I I'm in the Scott and Kevin camp. I the the Earth Civil War is my so far my favorite part. And I am so ecstatic we're gonna finally get back to it because I've been missing it. So tinfoil has gonna get a fresh new coat of tinfoil and uh be ready to go. Scott, did you remember your second point? Emily helped me. Mike broke You're me. Welcome. Emily helped me. 
So my second point was, you know, we keep talking about how this is the third age of mankind, when in fact, I'm glad Sheridan points out that it's the third age for all of these races. They started out as, you know, cave whatever aliens. Then they were answering to the Vorlons and or the shadows, and now they're on their own. So I like that we finally get an answer to the, it's the third age, which we've heard about since, you know, the gathering. So th I think, yes, it was an abrupt ending to the episode. Yes. But I would still argue we've been building to this for four seasons, and I think it was mapped out well. Nicole? I actually, that reminded me, Scott, too. I wrote that down about how that last scene with uh, Delenn and Sheridan, when they were like looking out the window, talking about how they feel about it and the next steps and the third age. And, you know, when he said the magic's gone, it feels like, but she's like, no, it's not gone. We're going to make our own magic. And this is an opportunity for us. I thought that last ending scene was really cool. Like with them just kind of reflecting and kind of going over the third age and like talking about what's next. I thought it was kind of beautiful. Um, And they were looking at Babylon five, right. From the white star. And I just thought that was so the imagery of that, as well as the words I thought were really cool and really beautiful. Nicole, speaking of imagery, I just want to throw it out too, which is cool is you're starting to see more and more like backgrounds that are really cool space looking backgrounds. This is because Hubble was a big thing back then. And they are literally just taking images from Hubble and sticking in the windows. So I love that too. I, I noticed that with the pillars of creation in the, yep. in the beginning of the Same. episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are just like, oh, Hubble's out there now. We have pretty pictures. Yeah, they definitely stepped up with the uh, space backgrounds and the Hubble images that they used. Do we have anything else on this episode before we jump into our questions and predictions with our newbies? Why Why was the Warlons a lady in an ice cube? Well, they told yeah. you, man. Did they? They, they said, the, the shadow uh, people said that they are stuck in their ways. They are frozen because they have to be ordered and chaos is better because it results in action i don't i felt like them suddenly introducing a lady in an ice cube was the most chaotic thing i've seen this season so far. <laughs> I, I would argue that if i were doing it and i'm definitely not jms or intelligent enough to write a show but if i were doing it if you have the frozen lady you have something that's diametrically opposed on the shadow side as opposed to avonava franklin lanier and somebody else talking to her I I absolutely agree and to that effect. The shadows were choosing like people from the immediate vicinity, right? To 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 copycat and parade around in front of them. I felt like really the warlons. I think it would have been poetic if the warlons had basically done the same thing, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. Or maybe mm -hmm. it was like Sheridan's dad or someone else who had died. By the way, or, or Jesus. <laughs> now we know him. <laughs> well, and you say yeah. Jesus. I did. I said it could have okay. been Jesus. It's Jakar on his fucking. It's Mufasa. Hey. <laughs> they they could have picked certain cast members for one side and certain for the other, and you could have yeah. uh, read into that a lot. I my guess is Justin would have had a field day with the the red yarn on that one. No, nope, said it was a weird lady in an ice cube. And yeah. I... <laughs> to me, it would have been more impactful if it would have just simply been Kosh. Hmm. Yeah, but that's just me. Couldn't render him in time. You get a lady in an ice box. <laughs> but we're on sickle. Yeah, real Kosh, not fake Kosh either. Oh, fake Kosh got blown up. Now I want to yeah. just, oh man, there's so much meme potential here. A bounty for the first person who produces that scene, but with Kid Rock in a nice cube. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Go to work, fans. Go to work. We know who you are. Do it. For those that want to submit your memes to Mike to review, you can find us at all of our links down below in the show notes uh, and send us your best Kid Rock on Ice memes. Little what did you know. What point did you include a Bud Light? Little did you know that 
if you're on the Facebook group, you're all sending your memes to me to be approved. So, <laughs> or not. <laughs> and apparently some of you are sending us your porn to be approved, too. Yeah. We've apparently had some By of the that. way, yeah. which so that got shit canned pretty quick. The yeah. two so far, we haven't approved the porn yet. I'm just saying. <laughs> Let's not do that. Preventing my Centauri diagrams from being posted. I don't know. One of our newest Patreon members said that she still wants a diagram of the female perspective. I mean, SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> okay, but who's sending porn? I don't know. They got kicked Facebook out immediately, accounts. so yeah. no one cares. <laughs> no, Jesse's like, why are they saying it to me? They're just no, I don't care. I, we can make it wasn't good. I'm just kidding. I don't it know. It wasn't good porn. <laughs> Damn, Kevin. Good porn. I need to know what Kevin's definition of good porn is. Kevin researches all of it thoroughly to make sure that it doesn't violate our terms. He looked at every aspect. (laughs) These guys are so Johnny on the spot with their admin. I never get to see any of these posts that they like get rid of because they're gone within Uh, like 30 seconds. Yeah, I didn't even get to see this one, and I'm usually pretty quick on it. It's me sitting on the couch watching Amazing Race with my wife, and I she just hears me go, Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, before we do derail much further how about we jump into our questions and predictions with our newbies and let's kick it off with jesse um let's see let's go with the obvious one i think we're about to see some shit go down with our yay me um (laughs) uh let's see questions and predictions i don't believe that i have any from these last couple episodes okay so i got nothing okay so that is jesse's questions and predictions how about justin all right um questions so what happens now with the league races? Like, are they going to come together and form some kind of like, in you know, Avengers squad or something like that to where they're all going to be kind of kumbaya now? Um, is the League of Non-Aligned Worlds going to become aligned? This guy, I guess, is what I'm saying. Um, then I guess we kind of address some of these other ones here. Um, I'll go into predictions. I'm kind. Of, I, I kind of touched on this a little bit earlier uh, in this broadcast, or whatever you, you want to call it. But I really think we're not going to see the end of the conflict yet. Yes, the shadows of Vorlons are off. They're banging on tambourines or whatever they're doing now these days, or eating some bomb chulupas. But I, I think that we're going to see some of the allies of both sides are still going to be fighting it out and maybe even attacking Babylon 5. Like, I think we're still going to see a little bit more residual conflict because more, even like Morn says, they still have allies out there who probably aren't going to be happy that the war's over. And maybe even people on the Vorlon side, maybe Earth's not going to be happy that the war's over. So I think there's just going to be a lot more darker repercussions from this whole thing. And then um, I'm going to channel my inner Nicole here, and I'm going to think that after Lorien's talk with Ivanova, I think her and, her and Marcus are going to end up smashing soon at some point, because I think she's going to take uh, his advice and start to open her heart and realize that Marcus has been there the whole time. That's pretty much what I've got for uh, for today. So there is our latest entry in the Gray 17 edition of Smasher Pass. We're going to have Ivanova and Marcus. Go over to Emily. I still want to know if the plan was Lorian's or Sheridan's to not take a side. I I want to know if Sheridan was kind of manipulated into that. Yeah, I know, Scott. You're giving me a look like, really? Cause... No, that was me thumping my forehead like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Something about just, as much as it seems like something Sheridan would do, Something about feels weird because trust issues. Um, I think we're talking more about Emily than we're talking about the show at this point. Would you like to sit on the couch and tell us more? Not tonight. Um, 
question. Does this change the prophecy for Londo and Jakar at all? Because when they've talked, when Sheridan went to Zaha Doom and like then came back, you know, and they were opening this new door or whatever, I've been wondering if that, how that will impact some of the prophecies going forward. Um, and general prediction is now that the Shadow and Forlorn are off, you know, skipping together on rainbows or whatever in the fuck it is they're doing, we have to now focus back on Earth, Mars, uh, the Psychor fuckery. And trying to mediate uh, mediate between Narn and Centauri because it's not like that's just done done. People are still angry and hostile and have feelings, very strong feelings about what's been going on between them for however long it's been going on. So I feel like this now that they don't have the distraction of the Vorlon and Shadows, it's all going to focus more on infighting amongst everybody. And Nicole. You know, I really was reflecting a lot on this episode, so I don't know if I have many questions. We've talked about a lot of stuff that I wondered, but I would say really my biggest question is, um, I think Justin kind of hit on it, like with the League of Non-Aligned Worlds and all that, like now that this is the third age and it's up to them to like teach the younger races, is there going to be one person like in charge? Is this like, are they all going to start following Sheridan or like, is there going to be like, a leader or are they going to be just kind of each on their own doing their own thing kind of guiding their younger races or whatever and then prediction wise i I think that we're going to see things ramp up with earth and all that fuckery and um i think that we're going to see that conflict start to come to a head and boil um because now that one fires out the other dumpster's burning so i think that's gonna the shit's gonna hit the fan on that Kind of one thing I wanted to build off, build off of what Nicole said real quick is, I think it's going to be hilarious if Bester just ends up showing up in a future episode. He's like, hey guys, I'm back to help, just like I said I would. And they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, it's over. You missed it. And then he asks, where's my wife or my baby mama? Yeah, yeah she got blown up. Sorry, bro. Awkward. <laughs> so, Mike, you said you had another... Uh conversation point that we missed so let's circle back to that real quick before we throw the newbies out of the airlock i wouldn't say we missed it but i'm going to throw this out there so this is going to be the second example in the series where we had a group uh just decide to fuck off out of the galaxy like just out of nowhere we had the techno mages do it before and now (laughs) these guys do it and i guess the question this time is we just had warlons and shadows cruising around the galaxy destroying whole races murdering billions upon billions of people and um they all just leave and like does nobody feel like maybe they should have paid for their crimes yeah where's a war crimes tribunal my thought on that i completely agree with you mike but as sheridan even puts on this episode they can't win against them so how do you bring two races that can literally destroy planets to a trial and say yeah. You have to you have to be deal, deal with justice. No, we don't. I suppose We're... my question, my my point in raising it is less about the logistics of how would you even actually do it, and more just how does everybody feel about that notion that these guys like played God with everybody for a super long time, very directly murdered tons of people just recently, and then we're just like, ah, we're we're good. <laughs> never right. never mind, guys. Yeah, Jesse. I would think that there would be like a, you know, a brief temporary general consensus that they're just gone, that they're no longer going to be doing that anymore. So I don't know as far as like, how do you 
like you said, it's not logistically because like, how do you actually make them? But like, I think a lot of them, a lot of people just be like, well, thank God it's not happening anymore. I'm not sure. Nicole? Yeah, I think um, in all reality, yeah, they should pay for what they've done and they should have some sort of justice for their actions. But in all reality, they can literally take people out in a snap of a finger. So it would be very hard. I think somebody said this already to kind of bring them to trial and make them pay. So they just piece the fuck out. And you know what? I think at this point, yeah, they did a lot and they've done a lot of shitty things, but good riddance, you know, just be gone and be done. Like everyone's sick of their bullshit, ready to move on. At this point, it would be just beating a dead horse. I think that was part of like the feeling of disappointment with this is like, is that they get to just skip on off to another galaxy and do no... And like, what are they going to do? The same thing? Are they going to change their ways? You know, they just, it's hard to accept that they get to go on living their happy little Vorlon shadow lives and everyone is left to clean up the mess and they're not going to help clean up the mess they created. And Justin? I mean, I guess to me, just the whole exercise feels pointless of like trying to bring them to any kind of sort of justice whatsoever, because how are you, how are you going to enforce it? I mean, really them leaving is a sense of justice in my opinion a lot of civilizations if somebody does something really bad they're not always put to trial or put to death they're exiled and that's pretty much what just happened so So you're saying beyond the rim is argentina (laughs) kind of yeah i mean you know i'm not going to continue on with the thoughts that are in my head about that but um i'm just gonna say that i think kind of them being exiled and never to be seen or heard from again hopefully um is kind of a sense of justice in itself for me yeah we do have that one listener from argentina too that is a big fan of jesse so hi to that one listener we have in argentina she's still not in the kitchen sorry actually that may have been a different person there's two people out there i think hi they are well they might be who knows this motherfucker has made like eight different accounts to talk shit about me so hey uh, if you're out there you can still go fuck yourself <laughs> Argentina one was the one who said you get paid too much, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. As a, as a female, you get paid too much. And he was mad that I had an opinion. And he was mad that I didn't just absolutely start out loving D5. And how dare I have an opinion? Well, it's okay. Somebody else just started watching us and called you abroad <laughs> a few weeks ago. So <laughs> it continues. Fuck gatekeeping bullshit. Like, go f- fucking find another hobby. God damn. To be clear, we have a we have literally thousands of people who listen, and only about three or four assholes. Agreed, or, or, and that's which is amazing. <laughs> yeah, or absolutely. A lot of you are keeping quiet, and that's good too. Keep your <laughs> assholeness to yourself. It is amazing. Mike's got a point. It is amazing that we have so many people out there that listen to us and are not complete, complete and total dickheads. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, I expected a lot more of it, and for it to only be a couple people here and there, that's. I mean, whatever. I know sure. that they will never say it to my face. So it Thank says a lot know. about the B five community. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to make very... a joke. It could be worse. It could be some Star Wars fans, right? So. Mm, there well, it is. They, it, you're absolutely it, right. It gets, I mean, you're not going to get any argument from me. It's bad. B five has one of the fandoms that is generally nicer and more supportive of fans to the show, onboarding new fans. Yeah, and generally being a community for discussion, um, with a lot less of the divisiveness that exists in other fan communities. Um, particularly thinking Star Wars is one, the Star Trek fan community, even yeah, Doctor Who has gotten. Oh yeah, I was say you you want to see some cesspool on the internet? 
Go look up the Doctor Who reviews from the first special that came out a few days ago. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Doctor Who has a trans character now, kids. Everyone, buckle up. Well, you know, could it be said that um, if you're that it has to do with B5's relative shortness compared to those other franchises? Has has Star Wars lived long enough to see itself become the villain? <laughs> <laughs> Very good. I, I'm kind of serious about this. Well, the, the thing about Star Wars is it's it's definitely more for propeller heads than it is about philosophy. And so, you know, there's there's times when I want to see that and there's times when I don't. And w- the times that I don't, I watch B5 or I watch Star Trek but Star Trek's even gotten some some you know bad um, bad um, fandom going on. Oh, absolutely. And and you know and that's that's probably more about um, some of the choices that particularly Discovery has made, which I am not dogging. I'm just saying that Discovery in particular seems to have been the flashpoint for for a fair amount of that. But I like what what star trek has become for 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 lion's share of it and star trek is just excuse me star wars is just less heady than than other sci-fi fandoms that we're talking about and that's okay but it it does mean that you're going to have a little bit more of a cesspool going on so i think that wraps our discussion of this week's episode one last little production note i will leave you with i believe most of us are watching this on streaming so it would have been corrected on the streaming versions uh, but when this episode first aired in the U.S., they actually had a small uh, oopsie on it. And when they rolled the end credits, they accidentally put the season three music on the end credits instead of the season four uh, music on the end credits of this episode. So I think we've all got it fixed. But for those that watched this when it first aired, you were probably scratching your head going, wait a minute, they changed the music back? I think my DVD is the old music. Yeah, the DVD still has the season three. Yeah, yeah I thought that, that kind of caught me off guard. Yeah, you your guys DVD actually is watch the end credits <laughs> of anything. You can't skip them like you do in like this yeah. We can't Marvel. skip them like you do in on streaming. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, Justin, your DVD. This is important too, since the Blu-rays come out like next week. Your DVD is a copy of a copy of a copy. Oh, um, I know. There's yeah. there there are some. Scenes, I, I have the same DVD. Right. There's yeah. there's some scenes that are like extremely blurry. Yeah, on it's, this, it's on literally this episode. Those yeah. DVDs in particular on, yeah. with Delenn and and the evil Delenn looked terrible on DVD to the point where I went on to streaming to see if it was better, and it was. Yeah. yeah. So what what it is is um, the DVDs are based off the the PAL recordings that were sent to Europe that were recorded from the master tapes. So that's one copy. Then the PALs were converted to laserdisc. Copy number two, and then the laser discs were converted to DVD. Copy number three. It's like multiplicity, man. They keep getting dumber as you keep going. <laughs> I was oh, yeah. gonna say that. God damn it, <laughs> Mike. You and Those I, man. It's like Fucking... when you get to a copy of a copy of a copy, they're not always as sharp. Go, go watch Harold Ramis and Michael Keaton's masterpiece, Multiplicity. <laughs> I love Multiplicity. I this love is a great movie. But the Blu-rays come out next week. Check them out. So this has been our discussion of season four, episode Into the Fire. If you'd like to leave us a review, make sure to click all the links down below. We also know about half of you that are listening have not liked our page, so go ahead and give us a like. And if you're feeling generous, go ahead and hop into your reviewer app of choice and leave us a review and let us know exactly what you think of us. But please leave us five stars with your thoughts. It will greatly help out the show. And let us have a chance at reading your thoughts here on Gray 17. 
We will be back next week with more. And Scott has his hand up. So, Scott. Sorry, Blake. I had one thing I was going to mention. I forgot. So, guys, including all our reviews of just the general episodes and our bonus episodes, this right here is episode 100 of the Gray 17 podcast. Wow. So and we didn't do anything special. Woo! 100 episodes. Well, we are recording it on my birthday. I'm just saying. That's pretty <laughs> special. Yeah. I was going to say, we did something special. We're all here. If this was the old yeah, TV sure. landscape, yeah, we, we showed could be syndicated. Yeah, we made it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that a Kanye quote? Like, the old motherfuckers should be happy that I showed up for this fake-ass shit. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm going to bed. Night. Oh, my bad. Yeah. Sorry. Bye. Okay, so okay. if you want to leave us a review, go ahead and do that. We do love those five-star reviews. Even if you're Jesse's fan from Argentina, go ahead and leave us an updated review, and we will have Jesse read it personally for you. <laughs> on a future episode you won't want to miss that then you, then you can ride a plywood surfboard up my ass <laughs> okay then kind of like what and i said on... we were talking more about what emily what likes and does more than the show mike i think we learned more about you right there that than is, we needed to that is that is a trent Reznor quote <laughs> that i read earlier today and i laughed my ass off at. yeah so, there you go and also me and mike are sharing a brain tonight so that means that was in my brain apparently and i'm traumatized but also, I love Trent Reznor too, so I feel you there on you that. There you go. Do you also like wooden parts up your ass? No, I do not. I don't like anything up my ass, but I do love Trent Reznor. Jesse is going to kill us all at this point. <laughs> I have been Blake, and with me tonight has been Nicole, Kevin, Emily, Scott, Mike, Jesse, and Justin. And what happens to the Rangers now? Now, all you need is to fuck out. <laughs> Damn Bye. it, Mike. Good night. Poor Blake. Blake is really trying to end this. All right, Jesse's going to pee. Or Kevin has to pee. <laughs> Jesse's going to leave. I have to pee. Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to and watch this podcast at anchor.fm slash gray 17 podcast or youtube.com at gray 17 podcast. We want to hear from you. So join the conversation at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or Patreon. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review where you are listening to or watching this podcast. Gray 17 is not affiliated with, and the podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The rim. And beyond that? The truth. Welcome back to Beyond the Rim, where the first ones are going to go through all of our newbies' questions and predictions. So if you have not watched past Into the Fire and do not want to get spoilers, go ahead and make sure to drop off now. Or if you don't care about getting spoiled for a 30-year-old TV show and want to hear what we have to say, go ahead and stick around. So we're going to go ahead and jump into the questions first from our newbies. And the first one they had is, was this the plan for the end of the Shadow War, or did they think they were getting canceled? And boy, did they hit the nail on the head with that one. Yeah. You know, I, I read where JMS said that the most he was going to go was three more episodes on this. And he was like, 
look, do you want to do some pyrotechnics and have me blow shit up for three episodes? Or do you want to just end it now and start getting into the Earth stuff? And, you know, he decided that it had run its course. Um, but, of course, they did think they were getting canceled. But I he claims that this didn't play in that much of a role into the Shadow War stuff. Yeah, and we mentioned this a couple times, right? But for somebody who's just joined us for this episode, uh, we've kind of set it out that we're not going to tell the newbies that season four up until late into season four was going to be the last season of the show because they were getting canceled until TNT picked them up. We don't want to tell the newbies that. So that's why it's cool that they're actually kind of figuring that out anyway, but we're going to not tell them that until season five to get started. So what happens now with the League of Non-Aligned Worlds? Do they come together and align? Oh, yeah. Well, we call it the Interstellar Alliance. Yeah, it's funny, too, because the, you know, an, a subsequent question goes right along with that. Is there going to be, you know, one person in charge will it be Sheridan? And of course, it's going to be there's going to be an Interstellar Alliance and he's going to be the president. He is the one that will be. So is the plan to get the war between the shadows resolved Lorien's or was it Sheridan's idea not to take a side? Why can't Emily ever let our characters do something and just like do it without being manipulated? Why? Yeah, if if you guys hadn't said it, I was going to. Like she's starting to take over as the one with the most conspiracy theories on the on the podcast, because man, she she just does not trust a thing. Well, even Lori even Lorian says in this episode, I cannot get you to the end. I mean He's like, I, you have to do this yourself. What you say will decide what happens next. He doesn't right. want to tell Sheridan what to do because then it's him doing it again instead of Sheridan. The whole point right. is somebody, the, the newer races take the action. Well, I mean, wasn't it even the discussion between Lorian and Ivanova where he said Sheridan knows what he needs to do? If he knows if, what he needs to do. If he knows what he needs to do, yeah. That's such a fortune cookie answer. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I get it. I actually think this is a very justifiable question on Emily's part because, I mean, I don't know. You you could wonder about his motivations and and whether it's whether he thinks it's enough to end the war by by puppeting Sheridan. But you know, it, it it's also kind of it's definitely right up the mistrustful alley that that Emily has painted herself in. So I'll just say that I get it. But well, it, doesn't that only really matter if this isn't really over or Lorian isn't really going you know beyond the rim, which we know, we know that he is. I mean, you could look at it from the perspective of. I don't know. I guess there's a lot of questions about Lorien and how readily he was ever able. I mean, I guess we, I guess we, we know that he was able to leave Zaha Doom whenever, because at the end of the day, he was the one with the ship that flew Sheridan home. Um, but I mean, I guess there was maybe some suspicion about, well, did Lorien have the desire to end the forlorn shadow conflict, but not the means until Sheridan came along? I guess that's you know where I'm going with it or looking at it. Yeah, and Kevin, to your point, I mean, I guess you could argue that. Lorian wanted to manipulate this action to happen, but I still, we even see at the end of this episode, he's a big blue ball of plasma. Whatever he wants to do, he can do. Right. The other thing that the uh, the, the newbies, I, it was mentioned, but we didn't really get into it, is he didn't just get rid of the Vorlons and the Shadows. He got rid of every first one there is. Right. So yep. No more Zog. Yeah, which is interesting too. And I mean, I, I'm surprised nobody drilled into the fact of, well, why the shit didn't Lorian just go talk sense into the Shadows and Vorlons on his own? Because feels like he probably could have you know, um, I see I, oh, like, go ahead i don't think lorian could have ended it on his own i mean I he even either. said i can't i can't help you here until all of the races that were left stood together and said we're not going to do this 
it didn't matter what Lorien said at that point. Mm -hmm. You had to have all the rest of the races come together and say, we're not going to play this game. We're not going to take part in this. We're out before the other two would even come close to listening to Lorien saying, come with us. Let's all go beyond the rim and be with the first ones. Yeah, yeah the, I mean, the, the okay. Shadows and the Vorlons had to see that, you know, they had no agency left that mattered to anybody that was still there. And so, you know, they had to see that for themselves. Lorianne wasn't going to be able to show that to them. So I guess I'll double down on the statement of, you know, why the newbies felt this was somewhat unsatisfying is, is that it does then seem still, you know, unrealistic that they came to the table and accepted that answer. So without a long drawn out, you know, refusal to accept the, the, the truth of what was happening. Yeah, but see, again, I mean, I get that. I completely get it. But it's... what's it going to be? Another episode of Pew Pew? Oh, That's I get all it. Been. Oh, you know, I totally get it. And and I don't know. I almost I almost wanted to draw a parallel between this and how Game of Thrones ended because... Oh, Christ. <laughs> yeah, I, think, I, think, I think I will still say that the end of Game of Thrones was, was logical and all the things that happened, everybody should have seen coming for a long time, but it happened so quickly that it pissed everyone off and it felt weird. And I think that's I, a little bit of what happened here too, but, you know... Can we and, get behind and, giving uh, the little kid the throne it was a bullshit idea? Can we get uh, behind yeah, that well, at least? Okay, maybe not. But, but you know, I, I guess... To your point, there's this weird balance between do draw this out longer with no real point other than to make it believe for everybody. You know, do you show the same thing where everything is just kind of in a weird stagnant state for a couple episodes before finally you go, okay, we can end it now, or or do you just get it over? And I and I I get it. I think it was a more of a production decision almost. Yeah. Well, I do. I mean, to Kevin's point, it took all the races. That's I, I mentioned the Londo thing, and I'll get more into it when we get to predictions. But I do like the fact that even Centauri Prime rejected the Shadows. Yeah. So the Shadows had nobody. Well, they have the Drock. I was going to say. Well, yeah, I was going to say because uh, Blake. Blake made a point of saying that all of the remaining races, well, all, I guess maybe you were talking about all of the first ones because it was all of the first ones. But yeah, obviously not everybody agreed <laughs> with with the future Interstellar Alliance. We have the Drock, and obviously there were no human battleships there. All right, are we ready to move over to predictions? Let's do it. I have, I have a question. Okay. So is, is there any daylight between the Vorlons and the Shadows? Are they equally bad? And the Vorlons were just hiding it better. Well, I think this, for me, it goes back to JMS's own comments and the comments that made throughout the series. No one is black and white. Yeah, no one is true. pure evil. No one is pure good. And I think the Vorlons and the Shadows fall into that same thing. They both are diametrically opposed viewpoints. But does that make one evil and one good? Or is that the construct that, you know, if you're sitting on the shadow side, the Vorlons are evil and the shadows are good. And if you're on the Vorlon side, the Vorlons are good and the shadows are evil. I think it puts them both somewhere in the middle. Yeah, it should, be, it should have brought this up to the noobs. <laughs> I should have, and maybe we will. But um, I, it'd be hard for me to see the shadows as anything but pretty fucking evil. Yeah, but I mean, even the shadows make their own argument that a thousand years ago, the Mimbari weren't much. And now they're the strongest of the new races. Yeah, and that's because I didn't catch that. They went through the war. Now, is it good to force people to evolve through war? No, but their actions did have, quote unquote, positive results. Yeah. Well, there's that. And I guess you could also state 
that while you while while our viewpoint might not be in alignment with the shadows tactics um both sides pretty wantonly didn't give a shit about how many people they killed in the process of getting what they wanted of, of playing their side you know I mean, I think the Vorlons were just as detached and uncaring about what races lived and died as the Shadows were. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to say that one side was actually worse than the other. It's just how they put the optics on it. One played out in the open and one didn't. Or rather, one played out in the open but hid their actions from everybody. It's Yeah, it's interesting. But The, the, only, the only point I'll make about that is that the Vorlons did put slight emphasis on other races particularly, you know, the the humans and the Minbari, um, in saying that the Centauri and the Narn were, were already dead races. So it seemed like they had given up on them. But it, you're not so sure about the Minbari and the, the humans since they were yeah. actively working with the Minbari and mm-hmm. certainly had some sort of a soft spot for the humans, at least a couple of them. And I wonder if we would feel differently about the shadows if they had also, from episode one, had a representative that mm. creepily stalked around Babylon 5 and occasionally showed up to meetings when they felt like it. True you that. know, Because in the end, they both did their shenanigans in the shadows where nobody knew what they were doing, but one of them entirely hid themselves from the public eye while the other paraded around mysteriously ominously hovering over everybody it's a really good point yeah and I, the shadows would make that argument too the vorons are hypocrites they're doing the exact same thing mm-hmm. and i you can almost argue and again both of them were in the wrong but you can almost argue that the vorons were worse because the vorons actually manipulated dna of races to do their bidding they made telepaths to be weapons yeah I mean, it's the same thing, like you said. One side pushed evolution through conflict, and the other just directly went in and manipulated DNA. Yeah. <laughs> you potentially know, to if, the same result. And if not for Kosh, I wouldn't even be having this conversation. So, and, and it's clear that none of the other Vorlons agreed with anything about, you know, his, uh, his viewpoints towards the end. So it's pretty clear that they're not any better. Well, and you... And you I, I don't know if it's worth mentioning, but just to just to point out, it's not entirely just about Kosh, because we do know that the Vorlons, somebody had contact with other races directly besides just Kosh, True. their ambassador on B5. Like, we had heard that, you know, Vorlons got pissed and contacted Earth directly at one point. <laughs> so so they, they were, at, well, and we knew that they talked to the Mimbari, too. So we know yeah. that the Vorlons at least had more of a public presence. Yeah, Ulkash was the ambassador to Membar before he moved to Babylon 5, because we saw him in War Without End. Um, the uh, the last thing I want to throw in here, too, is JMS kind of brought this up into our conversation about when did Kosh go native. He brought it up um, when discussing this episode, saying sooner or later he wanted to maybe write a book about it, and he never did. But he believes that Kosh decided to break the cycle over the course of a long period of time. And he did say that it had something to do with his interactions with Valen, whether that's Sinclair or Valen. Um, So Kosh has been thinking about breaking this cycle for a thousand years, one way or the other. 
Okay, so are we ready to jump over to our predictions? Uh -huh. So our it. first prediction is that not everyone is happy with the way this ended, and that is going to be what leads to the damage on Centauri Prime, as we saw in War Without End. Justin, I God damn it, quit watching the it. show. Well, yeah. and I and I tried to kind of drag them a little bit too towards the prophecy thing, and no one really latched on. But I mean, it's it's all in there. When we watched War Without End, Londo said that because he helped. To defeat the shadows, it led to Centauri Prime being in flames and him having a keeper. Yep. And the prophecy, and I know there's debate on this one too, is don't kill the person who's already dead. And I still say that's that's Morden. And my whole point there is if he hadn't blown up the shadow ships and killed Morden, the shadows still would have left because of what Sheridan did. And then there wouldn't be a revenge plot out against the Centauri because they wouldn't have anything against the shadows yep i i do 100 percent agree with that assessment i mean it's it's a little bit it's a little bit of an open question what would have happened specifically with morton if the sh when the shadows bugged out you know what what happens does the shadow crawl out of his skin and leave it, it all kind of comes back to the question of what is the nature of morton <laughs> but but i see your point totally like it, it could well have been that morton was just left alive and behind and could have protected Centauri from the Drock. I kind of like the idea of Morden losing his shadow buddies and becoming a Walmart greeter because that's all he's good at. <laughs> I I can see this in the in the sense that JMS would want, you know, a, a theme of this to be don't don't give in to your inner devil, you know, and uh have the the revenge moment because um, it's uh, self-defeating. I can see him wanting to to inject that theme into well, this. And wouldn't that have been like kind of in line with the cyclical nature of a lot of the storylines that we see in B five? You know, if if uh, the shadows bug out, Morden suddenly finds himself all alone with no support, and so he becomes Lando's puppet. Um, one thing, Scott. You know, you mentioned Morden being a Walmart greeter. His question is, what do you want? Never once have I been in a goddamn Walmart where anyone has asked what I want. So, yeah, he's not going to get that job either. <laughs> they do ask, who are you after you go through self-checkout? Where's your damn receipt? Oh, yeah, I don't know. Well, I think I've approached a Walmart greeter to ask for help about something, and they've been like, what do you want? Yeah, I just walk out when they ask for the receipt. I'm not showing you jack shit. Yeah, so uh, I figure if you trust me to be my own damn cashier, I'm. you get what you get. Right. I won't I won't put this in the recording, but I'll be perfectly honest and judge me if you will. When I do self-checkout, I do keep something for myself. I'm like, oh, I'm just not gonna scan that one because you know wow. what? You didn't pay labor costs. Yeah, I didn't get invited to the company Christmas party. So uh... <laughs> that, that meme was funny. Okay, so for our next prediction, god damn it, do we really have to reopen this one? Is Kosh the man in the middle? Yet another theory for the man in the middle. No, he's not. Hey, Justin was batting like 800 tonight. He had to throw something in there against Drake. Yeah, I, I I, almost would have bought it, too. His explanation was not bad, except that it would have implied that, you know, Kosh hadn't already buried part of himself in Sheridan. And not that he was... If he, if he was still looking for his chosen champion to end mm -hmm. the war, then I would have been like, yeah, that was probably Kosh. Yeah, but he... He already it, found him. It, yeah, he started working with Sheridan at least a little bit by the end of season two. So, yeah. Okay. And because our people trust nobody. <laughs> our people, as in Emily, trust nobody. <laughs> okay. Emily trusts no one. The Shadow War conflict is not actually over. Mm, sorry. Yeah. Um... Well, no, I mean, I was giving her a lot of shit, but she's right. 
because the Drock are a shadow ally and they are yeah. going to be a I problem. Mean, okay, but, but the no, it's shadow, not the shadow war is over. But it's yeah, I was gonna say it's a it's not the shadow war any longer though. It's... Yeah. I will say it would be interesting in another dimension, another multiverse. There is a script for a movie that would have come out in the early 2000s. JMS was pushing because JMS actually owns the movie rights. He doesn't own the TV rights, but he owns the movie rights. And it was called Memory of Shadows. And I really want to know what Memory of Shadows is about because no one has seen the script ever. Yeah. Again, you know, I, I'm sympathetic to the newbies because I, I do have this. If we're... <sighs> I feel like I'm shit-talking this ending, and I can't say it enough. I actually really like the way that this ends, but I do get that it was somewhat sudden. Yeah, I agree. It was a little sudden. And it leaves a lot of room for for mistrust. (laughs) And and Kevin, I read the same thing you did where JMS said he would have done it the same way. JMS is... Uh, I love him to death, and he's if he's listening, hi. But he likes to change his tune. Like, remember... With his original plan, the Shadow War would have gone for a full five years, if not ten. So just because he said he always okay. planned it to be in the middle of season four, yeah, I think truly, I think this if 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 he was mapping it out, and I think the way he was probably mapping it out is this would have been the end of season five, and the Civil War would have been season f- I'm sorry, season four, and then the Civil War would have been season five is my guess. But again, ask JMS one question, you'll get fifteen answers. So. And, and some attitude along with it. Yeah, he does great Somebody asked him the day on Twitter, hey, did this uh, idea, I forgot what the idea was, this idea come from um, another source? He's like, no, I'm a writer. Oh, I can actually yeah. write things he myself. that question. Did you steal this idea from someone else? Yeah, that's exactly what it was like. Yeah. The president's speech of the battle line was really good. Where'd you get it from? My mind? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't question where JMS gets things. It doesn't end well for you online. No. He brings the snark. I love it. So another one of our predictions that only our newbies could come up with. After a good heart-to-heart with Lorien, Ivanova decides to boff Marcus. <laughs> oh, Marcus wishes. Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. I mean, honestly, I kind of wish there had been more to their relationship, um, but it was not to be. Unrequited love. Yeah. And Marcus. Although at the end, at the end, Ivanova does say, as she's looking at his dead body, I should have let him boff me. Although I will still say, I am so waiting till we get to that cliffhanger where it has Ivanova in the medical bay of the Mimbari war cruiser. And I get to bring back Kevin's comment from the Claudia interview of remember when Kevin said she doesn't oh, make it all five seasons? You're not doing that because. Oh, I yes, I am. No, you're <laughs> not. Absolutely <laughs> not. We don't talk about that. Oh, yes, we will. <laughs> uh, no, we won't. Sure I've waited a whole two seasons for that, Kevin. No. I do want to I do want to throw out another, and I know I've mentioned this before, and I want to be very careful not to allude to the fact that Ivanova quote-unquote, comes back at the series finale, even though it was recorded in season four, because I want them to be surprised when she pops up Colonel Ivanova or General Ivanova, one of the two. I to say, so uh, So in the alternate timeline, you know, where B5 wasn't on the verge of getting canceled and the Shadow War did go through the end of season five, that's where the Marcus and Ivanova love story would have uh, actually taken place, I guess. What, those, if... those extra, what, 36 episodes? <laughs> There is an extended universe book or whatever short story where Marcus is actually frozen like Walt Disney, brought back to life, and then goes into the future, clones Ivanova. So it's not even Ivanova. It's a clone of Ivanova 
and gets with her. Yeah, not at all creepy. Yeah. They go and they find Lorien, and Lorien says, I'll give you a part of my life force, but you can only bang ten times. <laughs> it's not the craziest thing. I mean, and, I and then you'll to just a, stop. I could, uh, up until the road home came out, I could say, and they go to the end of the universe and meet God, and it's Jakar, and you'd all laugh at me. But no, that's actually what happens. <laughs> True. Pretty much. So this also isn't the end of the conflict. Allies of each side will keep creating residual conflicts. Well, yeah, the Drock are going to be a bit of a problem. Yeah, and that's then pretty on the nose. Canceled. I mean, technically, and... the Earth is the allies of, are also allies of the Shadows at this point, mm-hmm. and so we see some Shadow Tech equipped uh, battle cruisers. So, well, I did like actually. Jesse brought that up. Like, you know, what's happening on Earth? We're going to find out that Earth was going out of their way to make sure people didn't know about the Shadow War. Clark didn't want people to know. Yeah, so. we're finally going to get back and resolve that Bureau 13 storyline. <laughs> oh, wait. Poor Justin. <laughs> he keeps asking about it. So you mentioned Earth. The prediction was the focus will now shift to Earth, the Psychor, Narn, etc., and will focus on infighting amongst everybody. Nah. Yeah. Well, it'll focus on Earth. Well, I mean, Season 5 is all about infighting, too, and with the fall of Centauri Prime and all of that, too. So, yes, that's all going to happen. Although I think the... The Psychor piece is the one that I truly feel gets left out, and it shouldn't have been. I would have loved to actually see the telepath war, and I know there's books about it, but we never got to see it on screen, and that's sad. Yeah, I I agree with you. I really wish we could have had a season five focus a bit more into the telepath war and less time on the the group of telepaths on B5. I think they're going to retool that storyline and made it work a lot better. Uh, than what it ultimately did. And, and, and granted, I, I understand the issues with season five. I get the issues sure. with TNT. I get where it was at. I just Damn think that if it wouldn't have had that, I think it could have been a better story. Well, and I think the one thing that really got it in, no offense to Pat Tallman, I think the lead is great, but Ivanova was supposed to be the center focus of that telepath story. And I think that mm-hmm. would have made a big difference too. Absolutely. So the last prediction we have is we're about to see some shit go down on Earth. And now that the one fire's out, that will be the other dumpster fire left burning. Yes. Pretty much. Dumpster comes next yep. week. Because And we get right into that, because next week, Earth comes for B5. Yeah. Yep. Epiphanies. So that is the questions and predictions we have from our newbies for this week. Is there anything else you guys want to bring up before we jump out of this one for this week? I just want to say again, it's uh, and I mentioned it on the tail end of the main episode, but this is episode 100 for us, and that's just really amazing that you all have stuck with us for this long and we've still got a season and a half and a whole bunch of other stuff and just thank you for continuing on with us as we roll through this thing we got 16 more episodes in season four yeah it's been an absolutely incredible trip doing this into this now for 100 episodes a lot bigger than what we thought would be at one point so yeah yeah Yeah. we'll hit 300,000 here by the end of the year and just the sheer amount of time that you all have spent listening to us is another one so (laughs) Thank you all for sticking around. This has been our Beyond the Rim section. Once again, you can find all of our links below. You can join our Patreon to get access to our show notes and other materials, including our Discord server, uh, where you can interact with our newbies and us first ones with any questions, comments you may have on the show or on Gray 17 itself. You can also leave us a review on your podcast app of choice. And for the love of God, for the half of you that have not clicked that like and follow button, please go ahead and click that now while you're listening to us, especially on the YouTube version. And you'll also get notified when we come out with our weekly episodes. Uh, When those drop weekly, you can usually find at least Scott or I in the chat interacting with folks during the premiere. And you can also get notified when we drop special episodes. 
Again, I am Blake, and with me has been... Kevin, Scott, and Mike. Let's go, ah, hell. What's going on? Ah, hell means continuous fire in Minbari. Emily, you're a sick, sick fuck. <laughs> That's why I'm here. I don't like anything up my ass, but I do love Trent Reznor.